Hello and welcome back to the Primary Education Voices podcast, a podcast dedicated to the exciting world of primary education with me, your host, Matt Roberts. If you're a member of staff in primary education, then this podcast is for you. Each week, we interview a special guest who works in a primary setting and find out what inspires them. We'll ask them for their top tips, resources and philosophies they are passionate about in this wonderful profession. Thank you so much once again for joining us. And before I uh, introduce our guest, just a couple of uh, housekeeping things. First of all, if you go to our website, primaryeducationvoices.wordpress.com, you will find a vastly updated uh, library of all of our episodes. We're not quite at the end yet, but we've managed to capture quite a bit uh, with all the resources, the links, the ideas uh, that they talk about on that website Uh, And so please do visit uh, if there is anything that you listen to over the many episodes we are starting to gather, uh, which you found interesting for you and you could try and put into your practice. Um, The other thing as well to say is please do uh, subscribe to the podcast so you get our our, um, episodes as they land. Uh, And of course, please do uh, leave us a five star review on whatever podcasting platform you are on. That will really help to uh, spread this podcast and to share these brilliant discussions that we have. So I introduce to you Ryan Ellis uh, this week. Uh, he is known on Twitter uh, and in his his, his, uh, profession, his day-to-day work as the PE Umbrella. Uh, and there is fantastic things that we discuss in this episode. Of course, there is a PE slant with some of these things, but actually there is a, a couple of really important insights that he gives us, which I was really in, in, in impressed with and caused me to reflect a bit on my practice and what I do in my day-to-day life as a teacher. Because as we know, teaching can be a very, uh, very full-on profession, something which, um, if we are not careful, can draw a lot of time away from uh, our lives outside of the, the, the school hours. And so we have a great chat about that and some really insightful things. So please do um, sit back, relax, and enjoy the chat that we have with Ryan Ellis. Hello and welcome to the podcast, Ryan Ellis. How are you doing today, Ryan? I'm doing fantastically well, Matt. How are you? Very, very good this morning. Looking forward to a nice, relaxing weekend. Thank you very much. Uh, thanks for joining us today, Ryan. And we'll get started with your quick fire questions. That's all right. Problem. Fantastic. So, first question is: What is your Twitter handle? Ooh, it's at the PE umbrella. Ah. At the PE umbrella. Brilliant. Uh, and how many years have you been working around primary education, Ryan? Ooh, it's probably been now, I believe. 11, 11, 12, 11. Let's go with 11. We'll go with <laughs> Put 11. Me on the spot. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and uh, in those 11 or 12 years, Ryan, what has been your primary journey so far? What roles, responsibilities and things have you been done, done around primary I've, education? I've, I've worn a number of hats leading to what I'm doing now. So starting off as a, as a class teacher in year three and four, which then moved on to being a year five, six teacher for a number of years. Um, I then dropped out of classroom teaching to do PE consultancy work, which is my my thing now, if you like, teaching primary PE, working across a number of schools here in North Yorkshire before flying solo and going self-employed. Um, wasn't the best idea in hindsight before a global pandemic, but we did it anyway. Um, jumped back into the classroom temporarily for another year, teaching year five. And now I've moved on to a post working for North Yorkshire Sport, where I'm the education manager. So overseeing a lot of work across the entire county, and particularly with that PE 
physical activity and school sport focus. Fantastic. Sounds like a very fascinating journey and obviously very PE focused. And we're going to talk a lot about PE and sports today, which I'm looking forward to. I love it. Um, this actually comes to my next question, which I think we might know the answer to. What is your favourite subject, Ryan? <laughs> Believe it or not, it's PE. It's 100% <laughs> PE. I like other ones, but PE yeah. is, is definitely top of the pile for me. Excellent. And to be fair, actually, I, we've had, you know, we've had computing specialists and we've had, you know, math specialists and we've had all sorts of specialists. And it's not always the one that they necessarily uh, they, they, they uh, cover. But yeah, uh, you know, I, I can see a clear a love of sport and PE there. In your own education, Ryan, who did you have a favourite teacher and why were they your favourite teacher? Oh, it's interesting you say that. I My natural inclination is to swear towards the PE teachers mm. and, and they were great, to be fair. And with a slightly biased hat on at the time, I didn't realise maybe how how there were inequalities, perhaps. But for me at the time, as being someone who played a lot of sport, I didn't see that. So for me, every, oh, it, was, it was great. It was fine. I had some positive attention, played in the teams. But maybe naively, maybe youth didn't see around me that others probably had a negative experience. But the teachers were great with me, the PE teachers I, I came across. But two others that stood out for me were a maths teacher that we had and a design technology teacher. And this is both in secondary at this point. And they stand out predominantly because of their humour. They were very personable, built great relationships, but they were very funny. Mm. And I know sometimes we say, particularly in primary, to be careful, especially around using sarcasm. Yeah. But at secondary, I just remember they had a real quirky nature about them, which I kind of got and understood. And I appreciated that. And it made my time a lot more interesting and fun at school. So they're, they're, they're the ones that immediately stand out. Fantastic. No, it's great. And I love how different teachers stand out for different reasons as well and uh, helps us to kind of think about what's our role and what our, our personality is that, that, that children will remember for years to come. And at the last of the quick fire questions, Ryan, if you had to, or if you already do, what after school club would you run? Ooh, that's an interesting one. Do you know what? I think... If you have asked me this every six months, my answer might be different yeah. over the past few years. But as you're asking me right now, I would probably run some kind of outdoor ed or team building club just because I think I can cover a lot of bases in terms of, yes, being physical, uh, social elements key, particularly at the time that we're in, cognitive development, and I think it's something which is very much transferable across to the rest of the school day, but to take out of school into their everyday lives as well. So I think that's what I do right now. Mm, I love that. That's a great answer. Okay, let's move into the questions that we've kind of gotten prepared. We'll have a great discussion around these. Thanks for that, Ryan. I feel like we know you a little bit better now, which is fantastic. <laughs> um, so to begin everything off, uh, what inspired you to become involved in primary education in the first place? Well, I think the, the seed was first planted when my, my brother, my older brother, um, he, he's a secondary PE teacher. He's six years older than me. So I saw him when I was still 13, 14, going down that path. And I feel like at secondary, I had no idea what I wanted to do. And I don't feel I was prepared for the big wide world of what opportunities awaited me. So very naturally, it initially started with a, I'll just do what he's doing. I'll copy what my older brother is. You know, he's sort of somebody I look up to, that that's the way to go. So I forged a path, did a d degree in sports development and physical education. But in one of the year, um, summers in between the years doing that, I went over to America and to coach football. I'm a football coach as well. 
And whilst working over that, I worked with children from three years old right through to 17, 18 years old. So the full spectrum. And very quickly, I came to realize it was the younger children when I was coaching that I much preferred working with. And I think it's because at the time, it allowed me to put on more of a show and an act and be a bit daft. And I don't want to say daft, a bit more like myself. Yeah. <laughs> it was just me. And I was able to do that without fear, without any judgment. And the children were incredible. And I remember coming back over and it it made me question if I did want to do second repeat because I did enjoy working with the younger children. And it was at that point where I made the decision to pursue a PGC in primary because I, there was just something about that age group which seemed to to match um, match me, and it, it was sort of sewn into my tapestry, as it were. That that is the age group I must go and pursue. Um, so, so yeah, that, I guess that's what inspired me. Partly family, but then partly experience as well. Oh, I love that. I love, and again, it's great this podcast because it's great to hear just the different journeys that teachers take. And it sounds like to me, like like you say, it's because of that aspect that you can be yourself more and not be maybe a self-conscious perhaps or you could just be you know whoever you want to be and the kids will just love that because it's just another it's they really enjoy that um that i suppose they enjoy that connection and and that that ability to make connections with someone who is just being engaging and lively and just being themselves i suppose yeah it felt it felt more more natural to me it just mirrored and matched my personality and i guess it was this this cycle then the more they were engaged in what i were doing and appreciative and looked up to what i was doing the more it fueled my fire to be even better and even more exciting and even more um, engaging for them and then it just it just kept growing and growing and growing and spiraling and there was never a day went by particularly in those early days coaching where i didn't leave with a, a big beaming smile on my face you put in the hard work and you're just thinking wow i can't think of anywhere better to be right now and and it was a tough decision because part of me was considering staying out in the States and considering just doing the football coaching. And it, it was a very tough decision to then have to come back and decide what was, was best for my career going forwards. But um, yeah, you're right. I suppose at that early age, building those relationships and being able to just be me mm. and not somebody else is what sold it for me. So I suppose then my, my, my kind of question that leads on to from what you were just saying then is what made that decision? Obviously, it sounds like you're having a brilliant time there in the US coaching those kids with football, but then you obviously did decide to come back and do the PGC and follow that route. What what was that that made that decision for you? Well, it was a very interesting period of my life because while I was out coaching in America for a number of years, I met my, uh, who is now my wife. Mm. She's American. I met her over there and there was a decision to be made whether or not we move back here to England or we stay over in America. And at this time she was looking for jobs after graduating in science. Uh, And I was doing football coaching and we were thinking long-term and there was just a small part of me, which thought it would be better whatever we end up in 10, 15, 20 years, having a teaching qualification would be very beneficial and worthwhile, even just for that one, two year sacrifice to get to that. Um, and we put a deadline on if she was able to secure work over there in her line of work before, then I'll stay and I'll do coaching. I was more than happy with that. Um, at the time, unfortunately, that didn't happen. So we made the decision, right, let's go back to England. I'll train as a teacher. And then we just, she got a job within a month of being here. And then we just settled very quickly. I went down the journey and we're still here now, 13, 14 years later. So, um, 
yeah, it, it was a, almost a chance of luck. It was 50-50. We just left it to fate. If she'd have got a job in America, I wouldn't be sat here speaking with you now. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, it's it's interesting, like you say, how things pan out and how things uh, work together over time. Um, obviously, you mentioned that obviously we can be um, more of ourselves and we have some great times with the kids in schools. And so that leads me to my next question for you, Ryan, which is of all the things that have happened in, with you in primary education, can you share one of the funny stories that you can remember from your time in primary education? it's looking back it's funny but equally at the time it was very painful and embarrassing um for me i want you want the ground to swallow you so it's mainly centered around my error from my teacher training year and i think i've shared this story only a couple of times and i've had people say oh i i know someone who that's happened to as well and it was on my teacher training placement with a year four class and i believe the topic was Romans and we were building Roman centurion soldiers, have a bit of DT. I thought this will be fun. We've got, you know, great examples and let's build them. So as part of that journey, I asked the children in advance to bring in some newspaper. You might already be able to see where this is going. Brilliant. Bring in your own newspapers. Fantastic. My naivety through the roof here. Didn't even think to check them. So we came in, Oh, get your newspapers out. Let's, we're building these soldiers. We've done some modelling. I'll show you how it works. Everyone's good. Everyone's good to go. Within five or ten minutes, a particular young chap who'd found a very inappropriate picture in a newspaper from this time held it up in the air in the middle of the classroom and said, look what's on my newspaper. <laughs> Everybody turning and looking at it. I was mortified and very quickly, you've never seen someone move so quickly in a classroom, went over to snatch it away. But then all of a sudden they appeared everywhere. Everybody was finding <laughs> such images. There were two or three more. The teach, my, my, the person who was the, the TA in the class and the person who was sort of overseeing my, my teaching work was snatching them up left, right and centre and I was just speechless. I didn't know what to do or where to turn. The person who was in charge of me afterwards was very, very kind and said, look, it's, it could happen to anybody. They didn't even think to check and they were the class teacher. Yeah, It's one of those things. And we laughed it off. And afterwards, I, I was able to laugh it off. But I was absolutely mortified. I, I didn't know where to turn. And I thought, that that's me done. I'm done. Teaching's done. I'll leave this door and never return ever again. Um, so, yeah, there's two sides. I look back on it now and it does make me laugh at how incredibly was i naive i don't know how naive i was to think that was okay and not even check um and it always brings a smile to myself and my family members when i retell that but at the moment when it happened it was anything but funny oh i can for me anyway i'm sure the class found it hilarious (laughs) i bet they did and i think like you say the, the 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 hilarity in that moment of course now looking back on it is not that it just happened the once but then you start pinging up in different places as well. And start. Yeah, there were more. I mean, the one was bad enough. And then to take that away, but then just to have another two or three pop up on different tables. So I found one. It became a game to them. Let's find more. Oh, no. I said, you can't be doing this to me today. I think we managed to get rid of them all. And then and we still ended up with some really lovely Roman centurion soldiers. So all is well at, at the end of this tale. Oh, of course, of course, like you say. And I think, like you say, it's uh, certainly, for, particularly for new teachers, uh, we've already learned something on this podcast already. If you're going to bring in newspapers or ask for newspapers to be brought in, do just check them over before you, before you hand them out to the class to yes, use. Please do that. 
<laughs> oh, I love that. It's a fantastic story. And one I'm sure that uh, others listening can also relate to as well. <laughs> so uh, that's fantastic. Well, we'll move in now uh, to your primary three. Uh, and for any of you listeners, uh, these are three things that the guest, uh, the special guest, uh, feels or strongly about or is passionate about in primary education three things that they think are primary things about primary education that uh, listeners need to um, to hear about uh, could be ideas resources philosophies top tips absolutely anything so thank you uh, ryan for sending me yours ahead of time i'm looking forward to this chat because it's going to be very pe based and uh, i love pe and sport myself and so looking forward to hearing your views on these things we'll start with uh, the first one which you sent which is a piece of equipment which you think it is very important for primary education and that is rubber spots so let's talk about these mm. rubber spots why are they so important why have you picked them mm. as one of the main things in primary education that you think are really useful and important and we'll go from there well yeah you've, you've mentioned there matt of course it's very much with a p head on and i think the, the the next two we discussed can certainly apply to just life in general but rubber spots very p focused in terms of a piece of equipment and i picked those simply because of the probably thousands of hours of PE I've delivered now of their versatility. Mm. And sometimes we can look at things, a piece of equipment, whether it's in the classroom or in the PE cupboard and just see it for what it is and what's written on the box. But with rubber spots, there's so much variation you can use them for. First and foremost, marking areas out. The fact that they don't slip is a preference for inside. Sometimes I've seen practice where teachers may use cones on a sports hall floor or in the hall, which is great if you've got nothing else, but they're very slippy and very dangerous. And then they'll crack and they'll break and you need to replace them. Rubber spots are brilliant for this. Rubber spots can be thrown down as markers to create patterns of movement that children can follow. Rubber spots can be used as a target for somewhere to aim towards to throw to. Rubber spots can be used as an actual object to throw between back and forth to, to mix it up and use different objects. Rubber spots can be used by a child by carrying it in their hand, like a pizza, as they're walking around and balancing it on their hand or on their head. There are so many uses for rubber spots that it would almost be silly to not have tons of rubber spots in your cupboard at your school, especially when we've had nine years of sport and PE premium money now, of course. And they're just easy to grab, easy to throw out, easy to use, and you can play a whole plethora of games using just that one piece of equipment. So so for me, it would be my go-to of all PE equipment. Yeah, and it's fascinating you say this. So I, I come in, I'm coming from, you know, about eight years of teaching now, coming up to eight years, and I've been in two schools, and uh, in one of the, well, a few schools, actually, one of the schools I went to, I, don't, I didn't ever really see rubber spots. You know, they just weren't something that were in the cupboard. You know, if we wanted to mark our areas, we'd, we'd use the small plastic markers and, and things like that. And like you say, looking back on it, the number of times that they would get blown about, the number of times that a child would accidentally stand on it and slip or they'd crack and all these things like that. It was just something that you just kind of had to deal with. But then I came to a school and they had these spots and I'd never seen them before. And I was like, this is this is genius. <laughs> Why have I been spending so many so much time using these things um, that blow about and can, can can be quite dangerous, like you say, in, a, in the middle of a very frantic game or sport? Uh, when you've got these things which don't slip mm. about, which don't make a child fall over, that don't move about easily. Um, you know, it, 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 it was a revelation to me. <laughs> yeah, and what's even better now, Matt, is that you have got you can get mini rubber spots. These are the thing you want to really be getting into. So these mini rubber spots are probably three to four inches in diameter 
the bigger ones are traditionally what seven, eight, nine inches, but the tiny mini ones, mm. if you get those alongside as well, they're amazing. You use it, you can use them in your classroom on the carpet if you want them to space equidistantly away from each other and not sit on each other's laps. If you're lower down school, of course, and children who perhaps haven't developed that um, that proprioception and aren't aware of their sense of self in the space around them, and they'll seemingly sit in a space that doesn't exist and it's on another child's lap use these mini spots in your classroom to signify and delegate areas but they're fantastic Mm. for the smaller spaces so highly highly recommend right so that's fantastic so i'm gonna ask then so you mentioned obviously they're so versatile and they can be used for so many things and so i'm gonna ask put you on the spot here a little bit and i'm gonna say or ask you if you've got kind of two or three activities if a teacher is you know they've last minute they've got to go out and do some pee they've got to go out to the playground they've got some rubber spots what is two or three activities that they could do uh, that would be really easy to set up that could be done just with these rubber spots that the kids would really enjoy and be engaged with okay let's have a think you have put me on the spot there um first one that comes to mind would probably just be and i don't even know if what you what name of this game is i don't even know if i give it a game a name, sorry. I don't know if I give it a name. But essentially, every every child has got a rubber spot and they're just balancing it on their hand, sort of on the palm of their hand. They're not allowed to squeeze it. They've just got to let it balance on their hand. And they've got to begin just by moving around the space that you've designated, whether it's your hall, whether it's your playground, and keep it balanced. Are they able to move their hand in different ways, move it lower, move it higher? Can they pass it under their leg to their other hand? Practice with both sides, of course. Then the aim of the game is to protect your your pizza, your cake, your piece of food, your whatever you want it to be in your hand. That's what your rubber spot is. Mm-hmm. So you've got to move around, keeping it balanced. But if you get near somebody else, can you try and knock theirs out of their hand with your free hand mm-hmm. and knock it onto the floor? If your pizza gets knocked onto the floor, you pick it up, do five quick star jumps, pop it back on and move around again. And then, of course, if you wanted to adapt that game, you could have lives involved. You could use the step principle, modifying the space, the task, the equipment, the people in a number of ways. And all you need is an area to work in and rubber spots to hold in your hand for that one. So that'd be the first one I would think of. Fantastic. Uh, let's have a think. What else could we do uh, with our rubber spots? Mm. Next game that I would probably go to would be I'd probably go for a simple target activity. So rubber spots, you you might you might consider using something else simple like bean bags as well, or a, or a scarf, or even a bib. But it can be a simple throwing and catching slash target activity. So the first one is to simply throw a bib or a scarf in the air and catch it in one hand, two hands. But while, all the while, while standing on your rubber spot with your feet remaining on the spot, you can repeat that by then just having one foot on your rubber spot, which is on the floor, or then even asking the children to move around after each throw and catch from spot, then move to another spot, then move to another spot, and so forth, adding in that movement element as well. Then I'd probably try and have children either working individually or in pairs with either a small ball or even a bean bag, which can slide if you're indoors, and see if they can move within proximity of a spot and slide their beanbag on the floor to try and get it to land as close to or on top of that spot before collecting it, picking it up, moving around the space, stopping, sliding the beanbag towards a spot. So looking at the weight of sending an object, looking at accuracy and direction. And if you wanted to, you could have a number of spots clustered together to make a larger, larger target. You could have the larger spot by itself, make it a bit more tricky. You could have the mini spots that I've mentioned as a really difficult target. 
But again, that, that, that's the ones that would immediately spring to mind. I think if I had five minutes to jot more down, I would throw a bucket load at you, Matt. Yeah, no, I love that because it just it just shows. I mean, obviously you mentioned the experience you've got, and you know, I have I have literally, like you say, put you on the spot there, and you've come up with two fantastic activities, which would be so simple to to kind of put into place. And again, just with these rubber spots, with these versatile pieces of equipment, you could spend a, a good half hour, forty five minute session developing, working on that game, like you say, with that step principle of adapting and changing different elements of that game and uh yeah so thank you very much for that i appreciate uh appreciate you you being able to do that because uh i think for, for teachers listening you know when they get these spots just thinking about how they could just do very quick activities and things to develop the different aspects of skills mm. and uh, things within pe and sport is is a great thing to be able to do yeah sometimes as well with the spots whether it is just a simple decision to be made between pairs you could do rock paper scissors but spots are often smooth on one side or rough on the other so if you flip it in the air you can use it like a coin mm. it's heads or tails is it rough or smooth and whatever side it lands on then there's a something an outcome somebody has to do x task or somebody has to go first so they're just useful for things like that as well to solve disputes all right we've got nothing around us rough or smooth flip the spot what does it land on okay let's go fantastic that's really really good now thank you very much for that uh, ryan and uh, i appreciate uh, you being able to share that with us okay let's move on to the second of your primary three then uh, ryan and that is staying present so obviously like you say this uh, obviously you'll be coming at this with a p focus but this obviously i'm sure can be applicable to many uh, less subjects and uh, mm. different environments as well so what do you mean by staying present you're right, Matty. I suppose this can apply to everything. This applies to every everyday life, teaching, teaching PE, teaching a class, spending time with your family. And I learned this the hard way in that the first few years of my career, I was anything but present. And, and I've come to learn and I've done a lot of reading and people dictating that many of us are what you would call time travelers in life. We're time travelers in life in that we spend the majority of the time either regretting the past and thinking about what happened and how we could have done it differently and what we should have done. And if we're not doing that, we spend an increasingly larger amount of time in the future and being anxious about what's to come and dwelling on it. What's next? What if this goes wrong? What planning do I have to do? What marking's next? What's my next lesson? What do I have to do after school? I spent so long doing that in my life that I never really appreciated and took in what was right in front of me, which whether it be family and whether it be the pupils in my class and, and being there for them and being the best version of me. Because in my opinion, to be the best teacher you can be, you've got to be fully immersed in that moment in the here and now when you're there in the classroom. And I wasn't for a fair old amount of time. And I'll openly admit that. I've often been a bit of a, a perfectionist, if you like, and I would often dwell on the past and think about what I should have done. Or I'd be in the middle of a lesson and I'd be thinking about what the next lesson is that I had to do or what I had to do in the staff meeting after school. And I was never fully there. So I, I started to make a change and commit to wherever I am, whatever I am doing, being in that moment. And if there's something else that needs doing, I'd ask myself a question, can you influence or impact this right now? And if that answer was a no, it got dropped. It got screwed up into a little ball in my head and thrown to the side until I could, even if there was something huge going on at home and it was, you know, everyone's got their baggage and things going on. If I couldn't impact it right then and there, it got thrown to the side and I was there for the kids instead. 
And sometimes it can just raise its head in small ways. I mean, the amount of times you've asked pupils who will come to you and say, can you tie my lace? And you're like, oh, God, there's another lace to tie again. Here we go. And you bend down and do it. Yeah, come on, hurry up. Yeah, okay, off we go. Let's hurry up. But I started to make a, a shift after speaking to a colleague who transitioned um, in the way I approached it. And if they asked to tie a lace within reason, I don't want 10 of them doing it. But rather than seeing it as an inconvenience, see it, seeing that as an opportunity to be present and connect with that child. So while I'm tying the lace, how are you getting on today? Are you having a good day? How was lunchtime? Who did you play with today? What is it that you're up to? All right, fantastic. Let's have a cracking lesson. Off we go. But it takes me, what, 10 seconds? Yeah. To build that connection and ask them a question and not see it as an inconvenience. So for me, yeah, that, that staying present was was huge and, and taking the time to, to notice where I am and what I'm doing. Um, I think many of us in life have that that podium mentality, I'll call it, where on the podium, if you've got silver medal, you see the silver medalist and they're, they're, they're not too happy because they're thinking, oh, but what, what if? Mm. What if I'd have done that? I've nearly got God. If only, if only, if only I'd have done that. You see the bronze medalist who's arguably happier because they're like, oh, well, at least I'm on here. At least I'm on the podium. Yeah. And I, I would say that the majority of us in general, people that I've come across and known, have the if, or, um, the, the um, if only mentality for everything we do. Oh, if only that, if only I did that. If only I did that. When let's shift that and let's have more of the at least. Well, at least that happened. Yeah. At least I get to go and do this. At least I'm here in this job working with some pupils that are fantastic mm-hmm. and making that shift and being present. And I suppose when you are present mentally in the classroom, then you can become that guide on the side instead of the sage on the stage. You can get a helicopter view of what's going on. You're fully in the moment. And that allows you to dip in and out and intervene or assist or scaffold or differentiate where's needed. Who needs my help in here? Who have I missed on the sides, on the peripheries, who slipped under the radar? Let me just take a moment to have a look. And we do it in the classroom when we walk around our tables and we dip in and out in physical education when the pupils are working individually or in groups. I'll circulate and I'll dip in and out accordingly to what's required. But as I said, when I wasn't as present, I would be on the side watching but I'd be in my head thinking, right, so what's next? I've got to get those cones over there. I've got to set that out over there. I miss all the learning and opportunity, and then I'm on to the next thing. So hopefully it explains it in some sort of roundabout way, Matt, but that's why, for me, staying present is 100% one of my primary three there. Absolutely. I, I think, yeah, I'm, I'm stuck, sat here writing all these notes down because there's so many important things that you, that you pointed out there about and this is such a difficult thing for for many of us to do it's that thinking about right here and right now can i if there's something that comes to your mind i mean obviously we were just talking just then about we've just um, had sats week and all these other things like that and you know there's so many things going around many teachers heads right now and the question of can i influence that thing right now and if i can't it's so difficult it really is difficult just to kind of put it to one side isn't it but it's but obviously, like you say, if you can't influence or impact it right now, mm. then worrying about it right now w- won't be helping. Do, do, do you know what really hit this home for me is, so I've got two kids, like my son's eight, soon to be nine, and my daughter's five, soon to be six. And when my son was very little, he was born in my first or second year of teaching. And we'd, we'd go for days out on a Saturday or Sunday, try and put time aside. And after a while, I just noticed, for whatever reason, I wasn't 
fully present and enjoying being on these days out. Because in my head, while I'm out at a lovely, gorgeous park, at a bowling alley or a, a delightful cafe, in my head, I've got this voice saying, oh, I've got to mark those maths books later. I've got a plan for the next week ahead. I've got to do my English for Monday. I've got to do... And that was like a constant circulation in my head that I really struggled to and just didn't park. I should have said, right, I'll deal with that later. I'm here now. But I found it so incredibly difficult to do that. And I hold my hands up and say that. And for a, a number of years, I must have been a, such a miserable person to be around, of which I can only look back and apologise now, because I just wasn't present in the moment and enjoying it. And my, my son could have done the most amazing thing to make us laugh. He could, And, and I just almost missed it. Because I was living in here, in my head, rather than living in the moment. And that that's, for me, when that started to sink in, that's what made me start to think, come on, Ryan, I have to change something here. What's going on? Yeah, like you say, and it's and for, for you, it was fortunate that you had that realisation, that you were able to recognise that that was happening and then do something about it. And I think, obviously, for those listening, hopefully this can be an opportunity for us to reflect on. And I think, you know, I, look, I, th- I think back about... Um, my teacher training and a lot and a lot of the focus on that was being a, re- a reflective practitioner and it's only now I re- i'm thinking about this and thinking well of course we need to be reflective so that we can think about things that have happened and things that we can adapt and change as teachers but actually this is a principle for life about we need to take time to think about where we are are we are we being present in moments where you know the most important things are and that of course is it is really our life outside of school. I mean, obviously life inside of school, the kids that we teach are so important and we need to do the very best for them. But if we're not in the right position and if we're not in the right mindset, like you've mentioned, we then become less effective because we're worried about so many things and we are just not where we need to be at that moment. Yeah, couldn't agree more. Yeah, that's uh, that's fantastic. So I really do hope that any listeners, you know, we uh, we kind of have that. And I'm going to, after we finish recording, it's going to be a good opportunity for me. Uh, you know, we have a weekend ahead Am I going to be present and and in in place in the things that we're going to do? So that's fantastic. Thank you, Ryan. Um, So the final of the primary three that you've uh, shared with us and want to talk about is creating and celebrating the small wins and moments of success. So why for you is that the third of your primary three? I'll do my best to to elaborate on this and and explain it in some some way, shape or form. So with a PE sort of slant, but again, this is applicable across the board. And I think about... How many children or pupils do we know when they get to a certain age in primary school when we ask them to to try something and do something? And the response is sometimes, well, I can't do that. Mm. can't do it. And I think, well, how do you know? And they're already starting to adopt that fixed mindset of I can't do it. And oftentimes I think that comes from the fact that they must have at least thought of trying it or they've tried it before and they've not succeeded at that thing and then I think well you might have been at home but hopefully if it was at school and you've not succeeded why is that the case and it's likely in a PE context because the task hasn't been differentiated or modified enough to create them to have an opportunity to be successful a moment of success or a small win if you like so I see it as my duty that whatever I'm doing in a PE context or teaching context, we do it brilliantly in the classroom. Sometimes it's just not transferred over to PE as well. Whatever we're doing, can I make sure every child leaves that lesson that day and they've had a moment of success? They've done something well that 
they've achieved on their terms or on my terms that I've adapted well enough. So they think, oh, I know I can do that. And this is part of the journey. And then we're going to be moving forwards and not just creating the moment of success for them, but then absolutely celebrating it, uh, picking out that positive, ask them to reflect on why they did so well and what happened and how it was so good. And we don't take enough time as teachers, maybe for our pupils, and as you've already mentioned, Matt, reflecting, to reflect on those moments of success. Sometimes we're so focused on getting to that destination, climbing that ladder, only when we get to the top do we think, all right, okay, let's move on. But very often do we stop along the way to have a look at the view and go, that's not bad, this. Yeah, I'm quite pleased with where I am. Let's go again. And I think that's a dangerous place to be, as I found in some of the jobs I've had, is that I I spent a lot of time climbing this ladder without acknowledging my own moments of success and small wins. I got up to the top of this perceived ladder, then started to look around, and I realised my ladder was against the wrong building. I was like, hang on a minute. And, and and it wasn't where I wanted to be. And maybe if I'd have taken that time before to reflect, I would have noticed that. So I had to climb down that ladder. I had to pick it up and move it to another building. And this is why I've had a number of changes in my career to something that aligns more with what I want to do. And I think a lot of us do that. And I think a lot of children may well do that. But it's important in my perspective that if we want to keep these children engaged in what they're doing and motivated, that, they have a sense of, I won't use the word mastery. The reason I use mastery is because of Daniel Pink's excellent book, Drive, talks about motivation 3.0, which is three three factors to be intrinsically motivated, he states, are having autonomy, having a sense of purpose and mastery. So perceive that you're getting better at something. And if we're not providing opportunities for children to succeed and they're not perceived to be getting better, then they're getting demotivated. They think they can't do something and then they'll stop trying. And then the gap widens and then it gets worse. And then they drop out of doing whatever they you ask them to try and do or don't want to be physically active because they think, oh, I don't want to look a fool. I can't do that. I shouldn't do that. And sometimes it gets to a point where you feel like it's too late. And you're like, well, actually, now it's a long way back. Whereas if we can correct that early on, and make sure right from early years and year one, whatever we're doing, we can create and then celebrate moments of success and small wins for them in every lesson we deliver. We'll keep them on a positive trajectory. So that's the best way I can explain that. Yeah, and I think you've explained it brilliantly because I've got here a sentence that you said that for me going forward with the things I'm thinking about in terms of our school and think about things about my role in my school, it's this has every child had a moment of success. And I think, like you say, um, when whenever a child has an issue with a particular subject, whether it be PE or whether it be maths or whether it be writing or whether it be art, you know, the list goes on and on. Every child has that subject where they just they just don't like it. But like you say, it's because they will have had experiences in the past, maybe at home or maybe in the classroom where they, that they feel like it's not been, you know, something they can do. And like you say, that gap starts to widen from that point. But if every child can have a moment of success in every lesson in that subject, even if it is, like you say, very small and it's been differentiated to the point where it is that very scaffolded, look, you've done that and you've gone on to this little bit here, you've made progress, um, that will work wonders with their motivation, their self-esteem and their, not like you say, their motivation because we know that motivation is driven by success that children have had previously, then then that'll be a huge thing. And I think that's just something I'm going to, I'm going to I've circled that and put stars next to it. And it's something that I'm going to be thinking about and reflecting about uh, later on when I get to uh, things I'm trying to do in our school. Yeah. Uh, 
I, I, I agree. It's so powerful. And, and some children are coming to us with with narratives about particular subjects. And I'll use PE as an example again. That have been passed on or they've been nurtured and, and woven through the narrative at home, through parents or through other family members or other people who didn't like PE. And PE was rubbish at my school. Oh, I didn't like PE. You won't like PE. And they're hearing this and internalising it. And all that's going to happen is that their their brain then, if in a roundabout way, linking in with the confirmation bias, is they're going to look for evidence to prove that theory right. They've been told that. So therefore, their brain is going to, even if it's unwittingly, look for evidence to prove that PE is rubbish because mum said it's rubbish and mum didn't enjoy it. So therefore, mum may have let slip and said something along the lines of, I didn't enjoy PE, so I doubt you will. Mm. Maybe didn't think it's going to do much harm. But then that child's thinking, oh, maybe I won't like PE. Maybe I shouldn't like PE. And then they're going to look for evidence of just one thing, maybe not getting something wrong, maybe an interaction. And then, oh, yeah, I don't like PE either. And it's important we keep it as positive as possible and build up those positive experiences so we can change that narrative and they think, you know what? Yeah, PE's not all that bad. I did that well today. And it doesn't have to be a moment of success always physically. And even in the classroom, you relate it to that. It might be that they've had a great positive social interaction. You were a great listener today. You were, when you did that paired work, you were listening so intently. I loved how you were giving eye contact. That was fantastic. You were a star at that today. It, it could be when they were evaluating their partner. I love the feedback you gave. You explained it so incredibly well. Or it could be a moment of success, Well, whether you won or you lost. The way you handled that, I could see you were frustrated, but you acknowledged your frustration and you kept calm. And then you were still able to be a great teammate. How brilliant is that? That's fantastic. Then that's one moment of success. There's nothing to say they couldn't have three, four, five, six moments of success. But can every child have at least one? That's the aim. Absolutely. And sometimes, like you say, it's helping children recognise those as well uh, is half the battle. Because, you know, the children, they come to school, they spend hours there. And they will do things in that day which are, you know, fantastic, which is a success, but they perhaps don't see it. Uh, I just kept to kind of, uh, kind of, use this idea of creating and celebrating small wins and moments of success i think that sometimes as teachers we need to do that for ourselves as well mm-hmm. um and i think that if we can do that and linking to your second of the primary three which is staying present you know actually looking and seeing what is actually happening in front of us and what we're achieving then we find that we are making much better steps and we feel better about the day that we're having yeah, and I think the danger is, is what happened to me. If we're not looking at the moments of success and taking a moment to pause on the ladder, you might do what I did, and you'll find out that you're either climbing the wrong ladder or you are on a ladder against the wrong building and you're not where you should be. So it's important to constantly take that moment to check, taking the view, celebrate the, the small wins and successes, because we have this thing where we often will only celebrate a success if it's some grand amazing achievement otherwise it's not worthy of our attention but we're very quick to jump to the negative things that we perceive that negativity bias we can have 10 positives and one negative and when we reflect on our day we'll often go to that ah that lesson didn't go well well hang on a minute think about well that child said their please and thank yous to me what about something i've done well i held the door for x person or y person i helped a staff member and a colleague when they needed something photocopying quickly while they could grab a sandwich like that's a that's a small win that's something to be grateful and proud of that you've done, but we always forget them and we always go to the bad stuff. Yeah, absolutely. No, thank you for that, Ryan. I think that's uh, another fantastic point uh, and insight and a uh, suggestion that teachers need to take on board is obviously for, for children in the classroom, making sure that we are 
we are adapting, we are providing support and structure and scaffolding to children so they can make small steps and then praise those when they happen. But also for us, uh, for our own well-being is recognised, mm-hmm. you know, we, we just, you know, we go through so many busy weeks that all sorts of things happen in primary schools. But you did that small thing today and that was, you know, a, a great success. And so being able to stay present and look at those things, moving into that, I think those those connect so, so well there. So that's brilliant. Thank you so much. Um, Ryan, thank you so much for your time. And I uh, don't want to take any more any more of it because it's been so many things for us to take away. And I'm sure teachers can uh, go away and, and reflect on some of the things that have been said. I've got two more questions for you just to finish off uh, this episode today. First of all, who would you recommend for a future interview on this podcast? Oh, I'm going to go with my, my PE hat on again and, and a friend and a colleague of mine in the PE space. And it has to be Mr. Niall O'Brien. Um, he, he will be dropping some real value your way if you got him on the podcast. I've got a lot of respect and a lot of time for Niall and he's inspired me in many ways. So I'd definitely go for Niall O'Brien. Excellent. Thank you very much. That's great. And then finally for you, who would you recommend uh, for a future interview? Uh, sorry, I've just said that. What is the best thing for you about being on primary educa- uh, being in primary education, Ryan? The best thing for me is... It's probably going to sound a bit daft, but it just is the unpredictability of every day, every moment, every lesson. And if you're proactive and you prepare the best that you can, then you're in a better position to be reactive to that unpredictability and enjoyment, I think. Um, There's nothing like working with pupils of that age group who've got endless enthusiasm and ready to soak up any knowledge or wisdom you pass away. And for the most part, willing to give anything and everything a go. So, um, yeah, I think that'll be it for me. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for that, Ryan. It's been a privilege to have you on this podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. Really appreciate it. And uh, thanks for coming on to Primary Education Voices. You're welcome. Thanks for having me, Matt. Well, wasn't that fantastic? Once again, another great chat. Uh, Ryan was brilliant uh, with um, the things that uh, he wanted to share today. Um, I loved his story, his funny story for a start, Uh, just that kind of classic thing that can happen if we're not careful, uh, particularly as early career teachers and perhaps to some uh, experienced teachers as well. So uh, newspaper, using newspapers, very important that we do check those newspapers to start with. But going into his uh, primary three, um, when Ryan sent me his primary three and uh, his first of his primary three was rubber spots, I was very intrigued uh, to see what exactly we could talk about with uh, these little rubber pieces of equipment. Um, And as I mentioned, um, I had experience of two settings where one didn't really have many of these rubber spots and then another did. Um, And I was intrigued to see kind of why uh, he would say this was one of the most important things, particularly in PE, pieces of equipment that we can use uh, to really make our our teaching a lot more smooth and a lot more uh, straightforward and easy. But uh, he really did win me over. The fact that they can be used for such a variety of things, marking areas, used as targets, used as throwing, used for balance, used for all sorts of activities. And um, to be fair, like like he said, if he'd been given a bit more time, perhaps he could have come up with you know a, a, an endless list of ideas and things to do with rubber spots. And maybe we wouldn't have had time to do that in the podcast anyway. But he gave me two things straight away that any teacher could use in a PE lesson, which... 
uh, would be getting the children to practice different skills and concepts in PE, which could be built on then with, with the step principle uh, of how we can adapt and change uh, lessons and games in PE and um, help children to access it. Uh, I just thought that it was fantastic um, that we were able to consider just the ways that these uh, pieces of equipment could be used. So if you have some in your school that, and, and would like uh, then perhaps consider getting some more, and if you don't, then definitely seek them out. Uh, the final two primary of his, of his primary three, I thought really linked so well, uh, but were just some really powerful pieces of advice. Staying present where we are, and of course this applies to when we're teaching uh, in the lesson that we are in, being present and observing and reflecting on what the children are um, demonstrating in their progress in that moment, rather than worrying about what's happening next or later or in a few weeks. Um, but also um, doing this uh, in our lives outside of school as well, uh, making sure that when we are engaging with things with family or friends, that we're not worrying about the next thing, that the things which we worry about, unless we are able to uh, influence them and impact them at that moment, um, they are not something we shouldn't be trying to be really worrying about. And that is such a difficult thing. And of course, you know, there are many people that struggle with this for various reasons. Um, but that is something which we can try and bring into our lives a bit more. Um, uh, he mentioned his own personal experience of this uh, with his family. And I just thought that was such a powerful example. And the third of the primary three then linking in to creating and celebrating small wins and moments of success. And I loved how, first of all, we spoke about this with the children in our classes. It was such an insight, really, to consider that we need to make sure that every child has had a moment of success in that lesson. And that is obviously very tricky, particularly when you have 30 plus children in your class, making sure that every single one of them in every lesson is having a moment of success mm -hmm. can become a challenge. Um, but... Um, I think it's something which is we need to consider how we can encourage and develop because ha helping every child have a moment of success in every lesson will help them to overcome those negative and um, kind of self-fulfilling prophecies that they have when they are when they think I can't do this subject or I'm not good at this subject. How many times have you heard a child say that? I'm sure it is many times and that will have not come about um, out of nowhere. There will have been factors, as he mentioned, perhaps from parent influence and things like that. But significantly, it will have come from past um, experience. Uh, and building motivation um, is um, one of the main ways to do that is through success um, and helping children to see that they can achieve in that subject. It may, they may not be a master at it. They may not gain perfection in everything, but they can improve and get better each time they attempt it. Uh, and that is important. And how we help them to do that, whether it is through support and, and, and helping them in that way, or whether it is providing some uh, steps that are reachable for them, um, you as the teacher will know that. And I just thought that was fantastic. So, uh, Ryan, absolutely brilliant episode. Thank you so much for coming on. Uh, and I just really enjoyed that. All that's left for me to say is that if there is someone that you would, you would love to hear more from uh, on Primary Education Voices, then please contact me at Prime Edgy Voices or me personally, mroberts90matt, and let me know who you'd love to hear on the podcast. Thank you for joining me to hear another uh, Primary Education Voice and see you again next time when we'll meet another inspirational educator.